Today on the Travel Guys. In the travel news, it, will it soon be possible to go through airport security in a serve no TSA agent fashion? And the big airline news of the week, Alaska is buying Hawaiian. But will the purchase pass regulatory muster? Those stories next in the news. In our Smarter Traveler segment at 1120, we talk about the battle of the carry-on bags. Why do gate agents beg us to check our carry-ons and then let our fellow travelers on board with ridiculously sized bags? Rick Steves is one of the world's best-known European tour operators. He's also a huge supporter of public television. We sat down with him last week before his appearance at the Crest Theater. That interview comes up at 1135. Which hotel chain has the best reputation among online bookers? And Mark has a small but important tip on baggage tracking devices, both in our odds and ends segment, coming up at 1155. Lots of information to make you a smarter traveler heading into the Christmas travel season. Welcome to the Travel Guys. On the road again. Hello there, my friends. Some said it would never happen. Some wish that it wouldn't. But we're here. It's Mark and Tom, the travel and entertainment guys, back again for another Saturday show. Don't forget to follow along at TravelGuysRadio.com. Thanks for coming along. Mark, uh, how have you been since I saw you last? Well, um, finished a trip back east to Gettysburg and, and Hershey. Gettysburg is one of the most historic places in the country. Hershey, on the other hand, is a town that's built around chocolate. Um, It's literally built by the company. Uh, Mr. Hershey, Milton Hershey, uh, built a town because he needed a lot of workers, and he used a lot of milk, so he needed dairy land, so he chose that part of Pennsylvania, and it was a a fascinating story. If you ever go to visit Hershey, and you go to some of the the candy company-related attractions, I assure they will ply you with chocolate at every turn. Oh, I bet. I Like I say, a long time ago, I went to the Hershey factory in, in Oakdale, and uh, I, I'm still seeing all of those little tiny candy kisses passing mm-hmm. by on those conveyor belts. has to be... And, and you know, the, chocolate has its own smell, so the the smell of the factory is, is in the air. How about the city? Does it smell like chocolate? Well, not at this time of the year, but you're right in that many of the buildings that you go into, certainly the Hershey buildings, but some of the others um, have a bit of a, a chocolate scent to them, I would say. And, of course, it's Christmas time. So a lot of folks are heading up there to make purchases of Christmas gifts because they have, of course, like any attraction, a huge gift shop and are more than willing to sell you material for merchandise for in some cases, the prices were fairly close to retail. In some cases, not so much. But our folks had a, had a good time. I recommend it as a, as a fun stop. And there's a little bit of history there, too. So, And Gettysburg is definitely one of the most historic places in the entire country. If you are a military historian and you haven't been to Gettysburg, then you've missed one of the big places in the country. And when you go there, make sure that you take a guided tour of the battlefield because – it is, I gar- even if that doesn't sound interesting to you, I guarantee you it will be one of the most interesting things you have ever done in your life because it was a horrible battle and it played out in a lot of different ways and the guides are really good 
about helping you understand that. And there are a lot of supporting things, visitor centers and stuff like that. So Gettysburg would be high on my list. Maybe not for a lot of West Coast people, but, uh, you know, it's only an hour and a half, two hours from Philadelphia. And it's about an hour from Baltimore. So if you're headed to somewhere on the East Coast there, you could work that into your stay really easily. And if you do go to Gettysburg, stay at the Hotel Gettysburg, which is right on the square. The prices are reasonable. The hotel has just recently been redone, and it's a really nice place to stay. Outstanding. Well, at the top of every Travel Guys radio show, we take time to bring you up to date on the travel news. And with the latest travel news, and there is a bunch of it, here's Mark Hoffman. This is really an interesting story. This broke a couple of days ago and didn't get really much coverage, which kind of surprises me. Mia Taylor um, from Travel Pulse wrote that TSA is rolling out a new prototype for passenger self-service screening that can be used by pre-check passengers. It'll be first launched at Harry Reid International Airport in Las Vegas in January. It allows passengers to navigate through screening with minimal to no assistance from transportation security officers. Think about it. If you know what you're doing, take everything out of your pockets, um, you know, and you can walk through the security. You really probably don't need somebody to help you with that portion. So this is perhaps a, a little bit of a cost and staff saver for TSA. We'll see if it works. Uh, people going through security on their own, obviously somebody is going to have to monitor that because if somebody goes through and they don't clear, then somebody's going to have to be there immediately to tell them that, uh, hey, you, you've, you, didn't, you didn't make it. But um, it looks like that we are headed towards automation. Like I said, it's going to be used in Las Vegas in January for the first time. So I'm sure we will have an update on that brand new system. Wow, that's amazing. I don't know how I feel about that. Yeah, that's what my thought, too, was I don't know how I feel about that. But, you know, considering the fact that that TSA would be instantaneously blamed for anything that went wrong with a system like that, you have to think that they wouldn't rule it out until they're reasonably certain that it's, you know, that it's 99.9% accurate. So we'll see. Anyways, um, Carnival is raising prices as of they raised them yesterday for Wi-Fi and some specialty restaurants on board the ship. They say that um, the price hikes are just something that they couldn't avoid. Internet is going up on board, and they have a thing called a social plan, which allows you to eat in some of the specialty onboard restaurants, or you can you can book one of those individually yourself. Those are not included in your fare, and is and the up cost is between eighteen and nine dollars a person. So things are going up. Carnival. Once you're on board the ship, they're going to get a little bit more money for you from you. American and United Airlines went out of the Chicago O'Hare Airport deal. It appears as though a number of years ago it was decided that there would be a new terminal built at Chicago O'Hare, and American United both have hubs there, so it would be appropriate that they would have to be in on the deal. They signed off on it five years ago, but the project is seriously over budget um, by about $3 billion with a B dollars. So the airlines are saying, hey, maybe we don't need this fancy new stuff quite so much. Um, Chicago's mayor um, is going to ask the airlines to honor their original agreement they signed in 2018. Um, Chicago, of course, is a, is a headquarters for United and a hub for American. It's uh, uh, The runway upgrades at O'Hare have already been done. The terminal upgrades are what's coming next. Um, those terminals, I've been through Chicago twice um, in each direction. So that makes four shots in the last few. And the terminals are crowded um, at O'Hare. I mean, there's no question about it. The food, 
things uh, stuff and, and lines are long. If you're in one of those standard one hour connection situations, um, you know, you get off the plane and they're boarding your new plane at 35 or 40 minutes before departure. So you've only got 20, 25 minutes. If you have to tinkle and grab something to eat, um, you're, you're in trouble. Chicago is probably one of the, I think, um, one of the more creative airports comes to food because there's a lot of local Chicago stuff there. And I noticed in San Francisco, having been in there, through there several times recently, that um, they have really done a good job of updating that airport in San Francisco. It's really a, a pleasant place. The aisles are wide. The new concourses are big. So um, if you want to see how to do a new concourse, go and talk to the people in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And finally, uh, Delta is experimenting with AI. We knew this was coming to establish pricing and for some types of customer service. So um, guess what? The time is coming very soon when you're going to call up on the phone and think you're talking to a real person, but you're not. I guess if it gets gets the your mission accomplished and gets you service, then that's all that matters. I just wonder if this isn't another way to cut down the amount of customer service in order to save money um, under the guise of something else. Anyways, Delta Airlines is on the AI thing, and that is your travel news for today. And we are the Travel Guys. Don't forget, check us out at TravelGuysRadio.com. Well, tis the season to Christmas party. And if you're thinking of a holiday event, either for you and your family or maybe for the office, uh, may I recommend our friends at Rudy's Hideaway and Lobster House? Yeah, well, and not only that, Rudy's has one heck of a special for Travel Guys listeners. A six-ounce lobster with all of the accompaniments. For just a penny under 30 bucks. So I think that might be the best deal in town. But you have to mention that you heard it on the Travel Guys. Wow. A Travel Guys special. I love it. Uh, twenty nine ninety five six ounce lobster tail. That's something you can't find uh, just about anywhere. And not, no. only, not only does uh, the Rudy's have the Travel Guys special, be sure to mention it, but they also have uh, catering. If you're looking for somebody to pull up and... Serve a large group of people for a super party. They have uh, Rudy's uh, Lobster on the Roll. Remember Rudy's for planning your holiday office parties and for you and your family. And remember Rudy's for that twenty nine ninety nine lobster special. Just tell them you heard it on the Travel Guys. I say take the whole neighborhood. There you go. Rudy's right over there off of uh, Hazel Avenue uh, on uh, off of Highway 50 at Hazel. All right, Mark, let's talk about... The controversy and the thinking that goes behind carry-on bags. You know, what's going on? Why are gate agents uh, all over people that are bringing on carry-ons, but they'll still continue to let people with ridiculously large bags on board? Well, this is kind of the problem. The airlines made this problem for themselves because when they started charging, charging for baggage, they gave people an incentive to avoid those charges. So now if you can figure out a way not to put shaving cream and other liquids in your carry-on bag, which, you know, you can buy little things of toothpaste and deodorant and different things like that to help you get around it. And I'm sure road warriors have figured that out. And many of them frequently board the aircraft with a carry-on that is obviously not a carry-on. It's their, it's the, all that they're taking with them on the trip. And in order to avoid having to get the bag at bag, check, at bag claim, and with the, the possibility that the bag could get lost, I get why people do this, not to mention the fact that unless you're a premier flyer, you're going to pay for checking that bag, and it's also another takes time. 
when you come into the terminal, both on the outbound and on your return. So I get it. There are some real incentives for people to avoid having to check a bag. However, we've gotten into a situation where the flight attendants on board and the gate agents, they communicate back and forth, letting each other know how much space basically is left in the overhead. And I'm not sure why we have this problem, but on a regular basis, and I've seen this happen on flights that I've been on several times in the last couple of weeks, the flight attendant comes on and says, you know, due to the size of the plane or we're full or I can see that a lot of you folks have carry-ons. Again, there are lots of, of headers for that announcement. Uh, we're going to need 15 people to check gate check bags in order to be able to get everybody's carry-on on the plane, and we will gate check them for free. And you either pick them up plane side at your des- at your, your midway point in destination. That has some hazard to it. Um, or you check it all the way through, which is what I would recommend, because if you check it to your midway point, you will have to wait for that bag to come up from the baggage hold um, so that you can continue on your way on your on your connection. And if your timing is tight, then that would be a little bit of an issue. So if I'm you and you're checking the bag, you're taking advantage of a, of a gate agent who's saying, check this bag, that you are checking it all the way through to your final destination so that you don't have to be concerned with it. And at that point, the airline will not charge you for the bag. Many people know this, so they wait for that announcement, and then they go up and check their bag, and now they've avoided the cost of checking the bag. I get that, too. But what happens is that a lot of people carry bags on the plane that are not even close to being legal. The airline, ha- each airline, they used to have these sizer boxes at the, and those have mysteriously disappeared at the gates, where they would ask if your bag was suspiciously large, they would ask you to put it in that sizer, and if it didn't fit, then it wasn't legal, and uh, you, you know, you had to make some other plans. Um, but the sizers are gone. And now what we have is a situation where flight attendants are telling people and, and gate agents are telling people, you need to check this bag because there isn't going to be any room on board. And then people are getting on board these aircraft and taking pictures of overhead bins that are, I mean, not just one bin with a space in it, but bin after bin after bin that are completely empty. So, um, and it's not really a thing where the airline is extracting extra money out of you because if you check the bag at the gate, generally they don't charge you for it. But what's happening is that people are bringing bags that don't fit in the overhead the proper way. They're too big. So when they get them on board, they have to turn them. Instead of them going in on their belly or on their side, like on some of the new aircraft, they have to turn them on their front or their back and turn them sideways. And in fact, in essence, that bag takes up space for two bags in the overhead. So by bringing your oversized bag on board, you're in essence costing someone else the opportunity to bring their bag on board. I think that's a little bit selfish, but I also don't understand why the agents, if they just at the gate told people, hey, you know, uh, that bag is not, I mean, you can see them coming down the aisle. You know, those bags are not going to fit in the overhead, or if they do, they're going to take up half of the of the overhead bin. And so I'm, I'm just confused as to why gate agents don't spend a little bit more time policing the size of the carry-ons, because if they did that, and they didn't let the oversized ones on board, it would have the same uh, result as asking people to check their bags plain side. And then if people don't, enough people don't check them, then you've got this back and forth where they're, you know, they're kind of after begging you, then they start to threaten you. Well, the plane's not going to be able to leave on time if we have to, you know, put a bunch of carry-on bags in the belly. And so eventually they get people, they wear people down and get them to give in. But I really think that there's a better answer to this. And that's that, that the airline gate agents have to have some cojones 
And they have to make sure that people are not getting on. Because if you did this and you cracked down, it would only take a matter of a few months. And if Southwest did this or United or an airline did this, it would only take a matter of a few months with social media. People would be crying about, hey, you know, the agents are cracking down and not letting me check this bag. So I get it um, on both sides of the fence. But I just think that there has to be a better way than lying to the customers and telling them that there's no space on board when there is. You know, uh, it just goes to show my comment earlier uh, that I must be somebody that flies southwest all the time because I don't really think much about having to, you know, check a bag and put it on the plane because I'm not paying extra for it. Where you were mentioning that a lot of people are trying to save a couple of dollars. It's true. You know, when you have everything with you, you don't have to go to the carousel and and, and get your your luggage. You're in and out a a lot quicker. You mentioned something that I really never thought of. And is this it must be a real thing or you wouldn't have brought it up that somebody would would, uh, you know, have a flight where they have a a location where they where they stop. And then and, con- and then continue on. Are you saying that sometimes people will check their bag only halfway and then go get their bag off the the luggage carousel? Wouldn't they have to go back no. through security? No, 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 no. What what happens is in some cases, the airlines, when you check a, a bag plane side, they put it underneath and they bring it back up. They give you a claim check and they bring it back up and give it to you in the jetway after your plane is land. Oh. There is sometimes, though, a delay of five to ten minutes for those bags to get up there. If you're in the back of the plane, it doesn't matter much, but if you're in the front of the plane and you've got a tight connection, then that'd be a little bit of a problem. And, and uh, you know, as airports get bigger and bigger, uh, I, I've had two connections in San Francisco. I've had two in Chicago in the last week, and none of them were anywhere close. The f- second gate was never anywhere close to the first gate. It was at least 15 or 20 minutes to hike. And when you've only got an hour and they're boarding 35 minutes before the flight leaves, why it doesn't leave you out of time. It just seems like that there are there are better ways to do some of these things. And I, I the airlines have to want to do it. And so customers have to give them grief when I mean, people need to go go on like these folks did go on social media and take pictures of the open bins and say, hey, what the, what's up, dude? You know, I mean, why are you why are you doing this to us? And I think if, if that happens often enough. The airline will be forced to respond in some way, and what I'd like to think is that they will they will enforce the size of carry-on bags. There are probably a lot of people out there who are listening to me say that, and it doesn't make them happy. But um, I'm sorry, but you know those are the rules. When somebody gets on the plane later on and there's no room for their bag because you bought brought more garbage than you were supposed to bring and it doesn't fit any of the proper dimensions, then that's really not fair. So it doesn't matter how many miles you've flown the airline, it doesn't give you the right to, to steamroll or other people. <laughs> you just called my stuff garbage. I'm offended. <laughs> but that's often often the case. There's things I take. Well, but a- you fly south. You fly southwest. Yeah. So you've got two free bags, so you don't have to go through all this exercise of, you know, all this game playing with can I bring this up here and do I not have to pay for it and can I, you know, check it at the gate and then I don't have to worry about it. Mean, with southwest, you get the two free bags to start with, so it's, it's not a problem. So I will suggest to you that that is one thing. If you think about it, that is one thing. It eliminates a hassle, and you don't hear Southwest flight attend, uh, gate agents saying this as often as you do the others. So it's the, the free bags has a definite impact on this situation. Half of the uh, entertainment factor of flying 
is watching people try to stuff their stuff in the overhead, especially <laughs> if it's an oversized bag, uh, especially if it's an oversized bag and a short passenger, and they they can barely they can barely reach, they can't really even see where it's going, uh, and of course you have. The uh, overheads on some of the newer planes with Southwest, the it drops down rather than lifts up. And when it drops down, it makes it even harder to see what's in that overhead already and whether there's enough room for your stuff. So, like I say, if you, you're on the plane a little early and you're watching people, it's... Uh, it's entertaining. Let's just put it that Over, way. Overhead bins are not made for short people. But here's another thing. Um, there used to be an old thing among flight attendants was you pack it, you rack it. So, you know, you brought up a, a bag on board the plane that you can't lift up to the overhead. That is not the flight attendant's issue. That's your issue. And you're going to find somebody who's nice enough to help you put it upstairs or something like that because it's not the flight attendant's job to stuff your your overweight bag into the into the carry-on. I also wonder that, you know, I, I mean, I guess those things settle, seal pretty good, but I wonder that if you hit heavy turbulence and you've got all those heavy bags up there and some of those things come open, um, some of those bags are going to do some real damage to people. But anyway, we beat this to death, so I, I think we've, we've covered the subject. We are so pleased to have America's travel writer and author and activist and television personality Rick Steves joining us here on the Travel Guys. Rick, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to spend some time with us. Oh, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me. And thanks for your support of uh, public television, Rick, and particularly for your support of KVIE in Sacramento. It's uh, a love for public television is something that that you and I share. How are things on the road? Hey, uh, things are great on the road. I'm just um, finishing up an eight-city and nine-day uh, public television lecture tour around the country, and it's going smooth as can be. Excellent, excellent. Well, um, it, it's nice to have you in in Sacramento. I wanted to ask you, Rick. You're you're really Europe is kind of your area of super expertise, and I wanted to ask you. Your you know international travel this year in the in the COVID bounce back has been really strong. What do you think the, the future holds for international travel? Will it stay as strong as it has, or will we see a little bit of a pullback and consequently be a little bit of a lessening in hotel and airfares? Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, I think uh, the, the big news this year is that uh, we're back in the saddle. You know, uh, our numbers for guidebook sales and for tour sales in 2023 were as good as 2019, which was our best year until now. So people are traveling. I think people are – there's something called revenge travel that uh, – People are just making up for lost time, and I, I feel that. Of course, my beat is just Europe, so that's what I focus on. And the big conversation in Europe these days is crowds. Um, so, you know, that's uh, there's there's a lot of people traveling. As far as what the future holds, your guess is as good as mine. I think um, um, we don't know. I, I think COVID's old news now. I think climate change is the big news, uh, and you're going to find um, the heat of the uh, summer driving people out of the Mediterranean it's kind of interesting. All of a sudden, you're seeing Italians up in Sweden in the middle of the summer. You know. Wow, wow. And, and Rick, you, you you touch on a really important something that's close to my heart, too, the, the climate change issue, because this is likely to have a serious impact on travelers, where they're going and how they're getting there. Um, weather that is unpredictable is going to have more of an impact on airline flights and people trying to make 
trips overseas and connections and all of that kind of jazz. Um, what do we do about this? As, as you and I, as, uh-huh. as tour operators and people who take people places, and to some extent, yeah. we are contributing to the problem. Um, how do we help oh, with the con- problem? We're contrib- con- contributing hugely, especially people like you and me. I take 30,000 people to Europe every year on my tours. What we do as a company is we have something called our our Climate Smart Initiative. And um, I don't want to be flight-shamed out of our travels, but what I want to do is uh, help people travel in a way that they that they get more value out of the travel. In other words, they come home with a broader perspective, and that contributes to peace and stability in our world and so on. So that's a positive thing, and it would be a shame to lose that. But we have to be honest that we are contributing to climate change, and this is an existential problem if we don't get serious and do something about it. So what I want to do is mitigate the bad we create by investing in um, uh, uh, activities that uh, lessen the carbon that's put into the environment. Uh, scientists know that if a traveler invests $30 smartly, you can, you can create that much carbon good to mitigate or zero out your carbon bad when you fly to Europe and back. So I wish I was taxed for the carbon, but we're not as a tour promoter or a tour operator. So I give myself a, what I call a self-imposed carbon tax of $30 per traveler. And we invest that in nonprofits working south of the border to help um, um, smallholder farmers do their work in a way that contributes less to climate change. And again, for $30, we create as much good that way as we cost the environment by flying to Europe and back. It's nothing to brag about. It's just baseline ethics to pay for your carbon. And um, I, on my website at ricksteves.com, we says, if you're a tour operator, please steal this program and don't credit us. We just got to get serious about paying our carbon way. And then I think we got to get serious about traveling in a way that broadens our perspective so that when we come home, we're more tuned into the challenges facing our world. How are, Rick, how are you seeing the, the two conflicts that are going on, um, the Israeli-Palestinian uh, situation and the, the Ukrainian-Russian? Is that having an impact on travelers to Europe yet, or do you see a, a circumstance where that might begin to impact folks going there? Uh, well, the, the Ukraine uh, crisis or war is uh, impacting how many people are choosing to go to what we call Eastern Europe, you know, Poland and Hungary and Czech Republic, because people think it's dangerous to be close to the conflict. Um, we've noticed that our tour sales are down for, you know, Eastern Europe um, tours. I was just in Poland making TV shows, and we had five tours to Poland this year, and they were great. And when you go to Poland, there's there's no sense of any any uptightness or, or nervousness because of Ukraine. All of Europe is supporting Ukraine. It's, that's what you come away with. And um, if the war spills into NATO, well, tourism is uh, all across uh, Europe uh, is, is going to be impacted. It makes no sense at all to avoid certain countries in in um, you know, where most people travel in Europe because of the Ukraine war. As far as the heartbreaking news in the Holy Land, um, I'm just sad because Israel's going to pay a price for their overreaction. I mean, of course, you, you know, what Hamas did was uh, brutal and, um, and, and just horrible, and, and uh, they've got to find a way to, you know, rectify that situation. But what is happening now is going to have long, long-term impacts on the Holy Land, any tourism to the Holy Land is, I think, going to be impacted by this because the reality is there's there's six million people in Palestine when you count the West Bank and Gaza. And um, that's going to be um, a tragic um, 
cost to pay for when when the war is over and they've got to deal with the reality of uh, so many homeless people and so much desperation. Uh, In Europe, having said all of that, I've just spent a lot of time traveling in Europe, and there's just a great positive buzz. I'm just feeling so good about um, how Europe has opened up, and we just had a great time of traveling in Europe in 2023. Rick Steves is our guest on the Travel Guys this morning. Tom? Yes, Rick, I have to ask. I know it's on others' minds. What's one of your favorite destinations? Well, my favorite destinations, ha, uh, if you look at the TV shows I've produced, uh, you can kind of derive what I like most. I've made 130 uh, shows for public television, and they're all available anytime on my website. So if people want them as a travel resource, they can just go to ricksteves.com and, and view any of our shows for free. But I've done two shows on Norway. I've done four shows on Ireland. I've done eight shows on Spain. And I've done 18 shows. That's nine hours of TV on Italy. I think Italy has the most to offer. It's our best-selling books and tours and everything. I just love Italy. But, uh, you know, I'd say the best place for people to go is wherever their travel dreams are taking them. If they've got Irish heritage, if they've always been fascinated by World War II history, if they love Italian wine, uh, if you want to go see how Scandinavians are running their cities, you know, these are all good reasons to go to those places. So go where your travel dreams are taking you. And just uh, equip yourself with good information and expect yourself to travel smart, and you can. You know, Mark and you have one thing in common, and that is that you love to get off the beaten path. You would like to go and immerse yourself uh, with the people and the culture of yep. the of the areas right. uh, that that you that you visit. Uh, and uh, I know what Mark's reason is. Why don't you share with us what yours is? Well, I go to Europe to get out of my comfort zone and to broaden my perspective. For me, culture shock is something not to avoid, but it's something that's constructive. It's good. Culture shock is the growing pains of a broadening perspective. And I, that's what I do as a tour guide and a tour operator and a guidebook writer is I, I try to curate culture shock. So it's, uh, it's enjoyable. So, um, in, you know, I'm, I, I recommend people be a cultural chameleon. Uh, you know, it's kind of uh, almost cliche to say, go as the, do as the locals do. But uh, I don't work all day in, in Seattle where I live and come home and crave a nice cloudy glass of ouzo. But if I'm on a Greek island, I don't let the sun go down without uh, finding a nice perch and having my cloudy glass of ouzo. I, you know, I drink um, full-bodied red wine in Tuscany, and I, I drink the, the best beer in, in the world in the Czech Republic, and I drink whiskey in Scotland. Um, I don't drink whiskey in this hemisphere, but when I'm traveling in Scotland, I got a flask of whiskey, and every night I enjoy a wee nip. So you want to be that sort of cultural chameleon. You want to change with each culture. And then also you got to be mindful, you guys, that the, there's a lot of tourism, a lot of crowds, and these days Americans are all going to the same places, and we got to try to uh, minimize those crowds. There's a lot of lines, and I think there's two IQs of European travelers, those who wait in lines and those who don't wait in lines. Um, and it's just important to be thinking about that as you design your itinerary. Something I'm really excited about is what I call second cities. We all go to Edinburgh. What about Glasgow? We all go to Lisbon. What about Porto? We all go to Paris. What about Lyon and Marseille? Of course you're going to see Paris and Lisbon and and Edinburgh, but give some time to those um, industrial rust belt cities that are all of a sudden creative and full of energy and offering all sorts of fun without the tourist crowds. Rich, uh, before we let you go here, I know your, your time is short. Can I just shift gears for a moment here? You and I are both supporters of public television. Um, tell the folks who are listening here why they should be supporters of public television. 
Well, thank you. I'm just um, working right now. Today we're um, in Sacramento, and I'm, I'm working the station to help remind people that, you know, public television is an oasis on the dial. It's that one station, I think, that, that respects our intelligence and that assumes an attention span and brings us programming driven not by a passion for keeping advertisers happy, but by simply by a passion for inspiring and, 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 and equipping us with uh, an opportunity to reach out and celebrate the world in and, and all its diversity and all its beauty. I just think public broadcasting has been is more important than ever right now. And a lot of people don't appreciate the fact that it's not a charity. It's a service. And if you're consuming that service of KVIE in the case of Sacramento area, uh, if you're consuming that service and enjoying it, and if you cannot afford to help out, that's okay. Enjoy it. It's public. It's for everybody. But if you are consuming it and if you can't afford to help out, it's only right to do so. And um, if everybody just kicked in, you know, 10 bucks a month or whatever, we'd have strong public broadcasting in our communities. And I think it's good for our communities. It's good for our families. And it's good for our nation these days. So um, that's why I'm a fan of public broadcasting. And I'm going around the country reminding people that this is a, a treasure for the fabric of our democracy. Thank you, Rick, for your time today. Um, hope you have an, an enjoyable stay in Sacramento. We'll look forward to catching up with you again somewhere down the road. Okay, Mark, we're into the uh, home stretch here. It's time for our odds and ends. What are we going to talk about today? Well, um, a technological company has come out. A technology company has come out with a list of hotel rankings based on. Um, customer service, and it's all based on the hotel chain's online reputation. So it doesn't take into a lot of things uh, that you would normally take into if you were talking about customer service and like, this is just talking about um, online hotel companies and which chains do the best. So I'm here to tell you that um, Hyatt, its parents prop, parent property, and Hilton Garden Inn, which is one of my favorites, have landed in the top spot. So um, Hilton Garden Inn is a, a, a moderate-type property with a full-service restaurant. And I personally, I like those. The rooms are a little bit smaller than regular Hilton's. Um, Hyatt, of course, is an upscale hotel brand chain that doesn't really need uh, any introduction. But um, they have – these two hotel chains came up with a score of 69 out of a potential 100. So they were the highest um, ranked. The two, two brands beat out Marriott which earned a score of 68, and Intercontinental, which also earned a 68. Um, rounding out the top five in the United States is Weston, which, of course, is a Marriott brand at 67. So there are a bunch of them ranked up together, but more importantly um, is who is on the bottom here. And I would suggest to you that Baymont by Wyndham, um, which I've always looked at as a fairly decent chain, they have a score of 44, Ooh. and Econo Lodge, which earned a, par- a, a paltry 33. So that's... Gives you a little bit of an idea, at least for online people, as to who um, comes up to the top and who comes up at the bottom. Uh, Super 8 and Motel 6 um, also come below f- with a score below 50. So there definitely is a difference between a full-service hotel and a limited-service hotel and people who stay in them based on their comments online and, uh, and, and, their, book- and their booking patterns have decided which ones are. And I would have to say that... Hyatt and Hilton Garden Inn, I've, they've kind of hit it pretty much on the money. I, I can't argue with those two assessments. Do you have a favorite hotel chain, Thomas? Well, I am a uh, Bonvoy uh, member, 
Of course, I was Sheridan for a long time. You know, I like I like the Hilton Gardens and my myself. I do too. I think the rooms are. You see, they're not quite as big as the parent room, the Hilton, but they've got everything that you need. And let's face it, if you're only staying for a day or two or three, then and I'm not suggesting that they're tiny. They just are not going to be confused with embassy suites or anything like that, where they're give, intentionally giving you a lot of extra room uh, for you to put stuff and and just not be on top of yourself in the room. But anyway, Hilton Garden Inn and Hyatt, um, the two best, according to what folks write online about hotel chains. Um, Something that I wanted to mention, we talk a little bit about airline tracking devices here on the Travel Guys, and something came up last week in an article that I really thought was worth sharing. When you're putting a tracking device in your bag to make sure that you know where it is, put it inside the bag. Some bags have pouches or pockets on the outside of the bag that are specifically designed to put these things in. The only problem is that if somebody is going to the trouble to steal your bag, they probably know that there's a good possibility that you've put that on the outside of the bag and they're going to check for it. And if they do find it, they're going to take it out of the bag and now you're not going to have any idea where your bag is. So make sure if you're using one of those luggage tracking things that you put it inside your bag and not outside, no matter what the tension. Well, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, it does. I, I thought that was something that was um, really worthy of, of sharing. Here's a list of airports to avoid over the holidays. Um, see if this doesn't come out pretty much if you're a regular tra- flyer. Um, Newark, Chicago O'Hare, Orlando, Los Angeles, um, Atlanta, Logan in uh, Boston, Philadelphia, Denver. What do all of these have in common? They're all big hub airports for at least one airline. Um, Oakland is on the list in part because the facilities in Oakland are getting uh, um, older and older and are being fixed up. You know, Oakland, when Southwest came into their own, oh, maybe 15, 20 years ago, they didn't fly into San Francisco Airport. They only flew into Oakland. So if you wanted that discount carrier, you had to go to Oakland, and, and Southwest grew in Oakland to be the number one carrier. Um, unfortunately, that with the terminal being used hard and put away wet on a regular basis, um, things are starting to be, be to, to get a little bit worn, and the airport is, uh, it is used heavily, and it's also in Oakland. There isn't a tremendous amount of money for civic improvements, so it's going to be hard to see how this happens, but Oakland is one of the the airports now that is coming up on the bad airport list, whereas it used to come up on the good airport airport list. All right. I never really care to fly out of anywhere out of the Bay Area when we've got our airport here in town. Of course, there are some destinations that you can't really get to from here, (laughs) Uh, but uh, it's not my choice. And, And I know you, it's nice maybe to go to the city and have a nice evening and stay over and have a meal and so forth and then make your way to the airport, uh, but uh, not for me. To each his own. I Do I get tired of flying sometime? People ask me this. Yes. Am I tired of flying right now? Yes. Fortunately, <laughs> my trip next week is just down to Palm Springs um, with a group of sports leisure travelers, so it's not a long ways. And then I have a month and a half off before another one comes up. So, yeah, even those of us who travel get a little bit tired of traveling once in a while. Um, so here's one other little thing that I uh, just want to mention about traveling. Um, this happens occasionally. It's happened to me. You get on a flight and your seat is broken. Now, if you've paid for a business class seat, 
and it's broken, that's one issue. If you've paid up for a economy plus or comfort plus or whatever it's called, then um, that's that would be an issue too because you've paid additional for that seat. Now, if you're just in the back with with the rest of the great unwashed and your seat doesn't work, um, you're not going to get as much of a response. But the reality is that if your seat doesn't work on an airplane, you are entitled to some sort of compensation. If you have to fly, you know, on your back or your seat doesn't go back or uh, whatever it is, uh, you are you've purchased a seat that's in working order. Mm-hmm. So if the seat isn't in working order, the best thing to do is take pictures. Um, make sure if you can show in a picture how the seat is broken, then you'll have a much better chance of getting the airline to respond. Um, also, you can file a complaint with the airline. If the airline doesn't offer a refund and apology, follow up with the documentation that you collected. And you can do this. Uh, uh, Chris Elliott tells you that it, you can do this on normal customer service channels listed on his website. But again, if you send, if you have pictures that show that the seat indeed was not working, then you're going to be in a much stronger position than if you don't. So it it's kind of gets back to that um, taking pictures of your rental car before and after you, you rent it. If there's something wrong on the airplane, then you should document it. Uh, if it's something that you feel that the airline should compensate you for, because if you don't, you're going to have a really hard time getting compensated. Well, let me ask you, uh, you were talking about a, a seat that doesn't work. Now, here again, I'm because I'm a, a fly limited number of airlines. What does a seat do well, besides have a seat belt and it will it'll uh, lean back a little or it won't? Right. And an inch or two in coach is not really a big deal. But I think this is more for people who have purchased an expensive seat up in the front of the cabin. Uh-huh. And their expectation is that that seat should, you know, it should be in working condition. And they might have paid 100 or a 1000 or $3,000, depending on the length of the flight. But when the, when the flight attendant responds with, hey, dude, um, you're, we're, we can't do anything for you. It's time to take pictures. All right. And a video might be a, a, a better solution. All right. We're wrapping it up. It's been a great, great day to spend with you, my friends. Uh, next week, we'll be back 11 o'clock, and we'll, we'll do it all again. More tips to make you a smarter traveler. Mark, final word. Dance like nobody's watching, and we'll see you all next week. Stay well, my friends. Bye for now. Travel.